electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Carl Quintanilla. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Fort and Deirdre Bosa. Today, tech's big tumble is a hawkish Fed, the biggest risk to your portfolio this year. Do not miss a breakdown with Satori Funds, Dan Niles. Then fintech's fumble, why today's sell-off might not be a bad thing when it comes to risk. And finally, crypto crumbling as Bitcoin nears 40K. What's driving the action there? If you ask some, nothing. We will discuss that. First up, though, for today's feed, we'll start with the sell-off. The Nasdaq is coming off the worst day since February after those hawkish notes from the Fed sent yields higher and growth names plunging. Is more volatility ahead, as we said, here to discuss Satori Funds. Dan Niles is with us. Dan, we know you've been waiting for an environment like this. I imagine this is exactly what you had uh, thought was coming. And I'm going to guess that you think it's not done by any means. Well, unless you think inflation is done, and unless you think the Fed is done, it's hard to imagine that this is done. Um, because you've had, you know, if you look at the dividends included, the S&P is up 100% over three years. It's up 47% since the beginning of a global pandemic. And so my belief is that's driven by, you know, five stimulus packages in the U.S., over $5 trillion in that. And then you have the Fed expanding the balance sheet. All of that stuff's reversing this year with multiples at all-time record highs by several different measures. So you have to believe multiples are going to compress unless you think inflation is done and the Fed is done. Right. Where does that leave you, though, on names, uh, for example, in mega cap tech that have pretty strong business models, lots of cash, corporate capex boom, households with still some money to spend, although maybe uh, draining from excess cash last year, and then the multiple compression that you mentioned. When is a bargain a bargain? Well, I think it depends on how you look at it. In a name like Facebook or Google, we put out our top five picks, I think uh, December 29th or so on your show, and we picked Facebook and Google as ones that would stand a downturn of 20 percent in the S&P better than the rest because of everything you just cited. Um, they're trading at multiples that are one to two points above the S&P. They've got massive cash flow, really good profit margins, really strong growth. And, you know, the multiples are, are depressed because of all this regulatory risk, et cetera, going on and the Apple, you know, ad tracking issues, et cetera. So those are good. But we've got almost as many shorts on as we do longs right now. And we're very comfortable with that. And quite honestly, we generally like to have more shorts on than longs, given what we're seeing in the environment. Um, Our best long ideas, though, are in energy and in financials, because that's kind of the the flip side of the coin, if you will, because we think oil is going to go a lot higher this year. And we think interest rates are going to go higher. So you want to own energy and banks. And that's the flip side, which will put pressure on names like Google or Facebook. 
Dan, good morning. It's Deirdre. When you talk about having wanting to have more shorts than longs, I know in the past that you have been short Apple. Um, and I wonder, what do you think is going to be driving that? Are you shorting Apple currently? And, you know, what are the differences between how the macro environment might affect Apple versus the meta and alphabet? Well, I mean, if you step back more broadly, what you saw last year was names that benefited from the pandemic, they started to miss. So you had Amazon miss two quarters, you had Netflix miss two quarters, but both those stocks were up because you had the Fed still expanding their balance sheet by a lot. Um, as you got towards the end of the year, you started to see the misses starting to broaden out where you saw high growth software starting to miss as well. DocuSign's probably my favorite example of that where they were supposed to get through this fine and then they reported and the stock went down 42% the next day. Um, so I think, you know, when you look at PCs or smartphones, clearly PC demand benefited from, you know, my kids being stuck at home and having to buy stuff to get them online or iPads or iPhones, et cetera. And so you saw massive surges in demand for all of those products. And I think this year coming up, I plan on going on vacation next Christmas. I mean, we canceled our plans, but you're going to see a lot of spending move from things, mm -hmm. smartphones, iPads, big screen TVs, which we also bought, to going on vacation, eating out at restaurants, going to concerts. And I think that's bad for that space. Right. But Dan, at the same time, you know, many people were expecting to be doing that at this moment. And Omicron had other plans. Uh, when we look <laughs> at the Fed minutes and the move in yields, a lot of that didn't take into account, at least the last Fed minutes, Omicron was just beginning. So do you think that it could change once again before the next Fed meeting? Is this too much of a knee-jerk reaction? What does that mean for this macro environment? No, absolutely not. I think the Fed, the Fed made a policy mistake already, which is they didn't deal with inflation much earlier. And so now they've got inflation sitting at 40-year highs, You've got oil prices, probably the demand rebounding. At the same time, you don't have, you know, any appetite for more drilling permits, et cetera, because of environmental concerns. So that's going to keep pressure on that. Average hourly wages are 4.8% year over year. You've got 3 million more job openings than you have unemployed people out there. So you put all of that together, the Fed's way behind the curve, and that's why they're going to have to act more aggressively because, you know, the people watching your show own stocks. There's 45% of the population in the U.S. that does not. So they're not benefiting from inflation driving their home prices up, the stock prices up. They're dealing with how to, you know, food on the table, heating their homes, gas for their cars. That's a big concern for that other 45% of the population, which the Fed hasn't dealt with because they've let inflation get out of control. So I think the Fed's going to have to do what it needs to do and should have started doing a long time ago last year. So, Dan, uh, a couple minutes ago, you were talking about uh, comfortable shorts. And, uh, you know, last January, there were a lot of investors wearing uncomfortable shorts when meme <laughs> stock mania took off. What has yeah, changed? Me too. Hey, <laughs> what has changed that you're not afraid to put on those shorts, which got pretty tight a year ago? Do you think that the retail investors who at least kickstarted uh, that move last year are sort of out of ammo, what's shifted? The big thing that's shifted is monetary and fiscal policy. So you had five stimulus packages from the government, over $5 trillion came into the market. The Fed, after the global financial crisis, increased their balance sheet by about $3.2 over 11 and a half years. 
That went up by four and a half trillion in just a year and a half. So 10 times the daily amount of stimulus. So some people took that money and bought homes, others cars, others crypto, others meme stocks, others NFTs. Now that money is going away to build back better. Seems like it's stalled for now. All that stuff is backing off and rates are going higher because of inflation and the Fed's getting more aggressive. That's what makes me feel more comfortable having shorts on things like, you know, the new electric vehicle companies that have come public that don't have any earnings for a very long time in terms of profits and saying, okay, you know what, we can stay in there because now you don't have all this money sloshing around. Ah, Well, if you're short Rivian, that one uh, was down, I think, about 12 percent earlier in the day, now down almost Eight percent. But, you know, taking a step back, because, you know, we we can get very excited when we see a drop like the three point three percent in the Nasdaq yesterday. Uh, You know, I keep looking back. The S&P was up twenty seven percent in twenty twenty one. And that's traditionally the safest bet out there for for equity investors. Is all this movement a message about growth and tech or just a message to investors about not having a properly structured and balanced portfolio, you think? It, it's last year was all about show me the story and buy that this year. It's about show me the money. And so I think last year you you were able to buy pretty much anything and it went up. Um, I think this year you're going to have to be a lot more careful, as you said, about structuring your portfolio. So you have companies that generate lots of cash flow, lots of profits that are making money today, not a decade from now. And, you know, that you can feel comfortable with that they don't have their businesses slowing down a ton because they got a big pandemic benefit. And now all of a sudden it's going to slow down. So I think portfolio construction this year is going to be absolutely critical to make sure you don't lose a lot of money because, you know, I think there's very high potential for that. um, As I've said before, as you go through this year and the Fed starts to get very aggressive in the first half of the year because they were too lax last year. Hey, Dan, you know, we're just a couple of weeks away from earnings season. We know that corporates are going to try to put a good face on the quarter and the guide forward. We're going to get uh, Powell's uh, confirmation, we think. There'll be, uh, some people believe, a barn burner of a jobs number tomorrow. Would it surprise you if the mood improved, even in the short term, uh, in the coming month, let's say? Yeah, markets never go down. I mean, you go back to the tech bubble. When that thing burst, you had, I think, seven rallies of 15% in the S&P over two and a half years, seven separate rallies on your way to losing 50% of your money. So, yeah, I mean, we actually covered more shorts and bought stuff yesterday than the other way around because, you know, some of the technicals we had look like, yeah, you might see a bounce today. But in general, we're still playing for the down 20% in the S&P at some point during the year. And but, you know, you want to manage your portfolio because these stocks, as John pointed out with, you know, I think it was Rivian, I mean, these stocks are incredibly volatile. So it, would it surprise me to see that stock up 10% tomorrow? Of course not. And so you want to manage around this. And we manage our shorts you know, daily, quite honestly, with some of those types of names. So that's what we're you know, thinking. But then back to going lower. Dan, show me the story and show me the money. Those kind of go hand in hand. So I wonder, when does the sell-off and some of these high-growth unprofitable names affect their actual business trajectory. I know we've been talking about Rivian, right? And with its sell-off, less ability perhaps to raise more money in the capital markets, 
ad manufacturing do M&A. So how does that change the story for these companies? Does it the fundamentals going forward? I mean, it absolutely does. I mean, don't forget, I mean, Elon Musk with one of the greatest companies out there, he he had to go through production hell, as he called it, to ramp up the Model 3. And that was in a much better environment for the supply chains, et cetera, without COVID. And so you've got these other companies trying to go through this without those advantages. Now, the good news is they have very low cost of capital because they're trading at, you know, 20-something times EV to sales. I think Tesla's somewhere around 15 or so um, at this point. Um, but you compare that to a Ford or GM that are at 0.5, you have a massive cost of capital advantage. But if your stock price goes down and people aren't willing to give you money as easily, then you have a different issue on your hands if you're burning money for the next five to 10 years as you're trying to ramp up, much like Tesla did. So, yeah, it's sort of this circular argument of your stock goes higher, your business is easier, but your stock starts to drop, you get capital constrained and your business becomes a little bit harder. Um, Tesla doesn't have that problem. Some of these other companies certainly do. Hey, finally, Dan, we, we got to run, but I know you talked about cash last time. What is a reasonable portion of a portfolio right now to have in cash? I mean, I think it really depends on your risk tolerance. If you're 30-something years old, you don't need to have a whole lot because you can probably make it back in your lifetime. If you're sitting at, you know, 60 and you're thinking about retiring, you should have a very, very high portion of your portfolio in cash unless you think, you know, 25% compounded returns over the last three years on the S&P is normal in the middle of a global pandemic, which it clearly is not with multiples at record highs. In that case, you should have a tremendous amount of your portfolio sitting in cash because bonds, quite honestly, aren't a good investment either if you think inflation is going to be really high. So this is a really difficult period if, if you're an older person with a lot of, you know, net worth and, you know, uh, looking forward to retiring, I think. Yeah, and you got got to make it last. Uh, Dan, yeah. hope to check in with you with um, even more frequency in the coming weeks. Thanks so much. Appreciate it, Carl. Dan Niles. In the meantime, today marks the first anniversary of the deadly January 6th Capitol Hill attack, an event that led many to double down on their calls for social media reform. So, has anything changed? Eamon Jabbers has a look at the space for us. Eamon. Yeah, John, one of the big questions in all of this is whether social media companies are doing enough to tamp down on these threats that we're seeing out there. A senior law enforcement official tells NBC News that federal law enforcement and intelligence officials have observed an uptick in calls for unspecified acts of violence associated with the January 6th anniversary today, with some of the threats aimed at members of Congress who voted to certify the election last year. Now, social media companies and law enforcement officials tell me <clears throat> they're going to be on alert throughout the day today, but none of the agencies that we spoke with said they're seeing anything specific in terms of threats right now. Twitter says it's creating a new working group for, focused on the one-year anniversary of January 6th to ensure the service is able to enforce its rules. The company said in a statement, our approach both before and after January 6th has been to take strong enforcement action against accounts and tweets that incite violence or have the potential to lead to offline harm. Similarly, Facebook said they're going to continue to do their part. Here's their statement. We are in contact with law enforcement agencies, including those responsible for addressing threats of domestic terrorism. We're continuing to actively monitor threats on our platform and will respond accordingly. 
And the FBI tells me it's not commenting on a report yesterday from Yahoo News about online flyers encouraging a January 6th reunion, quote unquote, saying simply that the Bureau does not currently have any information indicating specific or credible threats regarding the January 6th anniversary, guys. Back over to you. Amen. thank you. And Consumer Tech Week continues. Don't miss the CEO of Logitech talking some key trends next. Plus, from fintech, crypto to the cloud. We've got lots more market coverage ahead. And tech's biggest market movers you should be watching. Tech Check is just getting started. Spotify announcing new ad tools. Our Julia Borston joins us now with the details. Julia. Well, Deirdre, Spotify is announcing just now a new interactive ad tool to make its ads more effective and therefore more valuable. So as the music platform whose stock has suffered in the past year looks to grow the advertising side of its business and compete more with the likes of Facebook, Meta and Google for ad dollars, there are these new call to action cards. They will start to roll out today on select podcasts. Spotify says this new format drives double the increase in site visits as standard non-clickable ads do. Now, this new format invites listeners to click shop now buttons or to click to learn more about advertisers products when the ad starts playing. Now, Spotify says these ads are successful because they eliminate the need for consumers to remember promo codes or sale details and the like, and they facilitate more engagement with brands. Spotify has been doubling down on podcasting. In its third quarter report, they talked about the engagement with podcasts accelerating as it rolled out the likes of interactive polls and Q&As for podcasters and as podcast advertising rose to 13% of Spotify's total ad revenue. We will hear more about Spotify's ad business and growth when the company reports those earnings on February 2nd. But, John, this is clearly a priority for them. Yeah, looking forward to seeing how uh, other companies are trying to innovate on ad formats, too. Thanks. And now Consumer Tech Week rolls on. Logitech stock, a big beneficiary of the hybrid work trend, shares doubling in 2020. Well, the stock closed 2021 lower by 15 percent. It's in the red a bit today. Here to talk some key trends in an exclusive interview, Logitech CEO Bracken Darrell. Bracken, great to see you. Um, you know, I, I want to start off talking about the expansion in demand for gaming equipment, because you guys make a lot of that. And I'm not sure um, investors are understanding it correctly. I've got the sense that maybe equipment that was for hardcore gamers five years ago has sort of moved into the mainstream. My boys put on gaming headsets because, like, they talk to friends while gaming. Like, I used to talk to friends on the phone while watching TV or with music in the background. Is that what you see happening? And are you shifting the way you design or plan products based on the shifts we're seeing culturally now? Ah, John, you always impressed me. I mean, you opened with a direct bullseye on what's happening in the gaming market. It's gone from being for gamers to being for everybody. You know, the the, the uh, gaming gaming is now the new playground. And so, when you want to get together with your friends and talk, they're doing it in the context of video games, and that's a little hard for most parents or to to understand. And and you know, for a lot of us who don't play video games regularly, but that's basically taken this from being a uh, kind of a niche in the basement in the dark category to a wide open everybody's in 
you know, every, every gender, everything, everybody's on all the time, having a discussion, having, talking, laughing, playing, you know, giving each other a hard time. It's just the way it is. And so, yes, absolutely. We've, we've changed the way we think about designing products and we're now designing for lifestyle, not just for competitive gaming. So I'll watch them take a headset from an iPad to a PC to a PlayStation. Um, what do you do differently to make sure that the momentum that Logitech saw during 2020 in the pandemic product-wise not only continues from here, but also margin continues because you've got the right kind of innovation that differentiates you? you no, know, the most important thing we can do, there is no substitute for staying very, very close to the customer. And our gaming group, I would say, has grown from being uh, you know, largely, you know, almost completely male and the kind of the classic view of what you thought of as a gamer, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, to very, very diverse and, and a much more broader group. And they're very close to the customers. And I think we're evolving. Our team's evolving just as our products are evolving. And so um, I'm, I'm super excited about what we've got going there and the people we have working on. And I think you're going to see us come out with some really cool stuff. If you look at just some of the latest things we've done in gaming, they've been so much more fun. And uh, some of the latest advertising we're doing is a lot more fun, too, a lot more diverse. Bracken, uh, good morning. I'm, I'm looking further out into the future. What happens to gaming equipment if people are experiencing games in a more immersive environment through a headset? Is there still room for the accessories that you make or how are you looking at that shift? And, you know, how urgent is it? Do you think that that is a long ways off when most people are gaming through headsets? I think the whole idea of a, a metaverse and, and where's it going, whether it's gaming or work or play, is, uh, you know, I, we've done a lot of work in VR and AR over the last five or six years, and we, we can't seem to find something better than a mouse and a keyboard for a lot of the applications that people are using and will use every day. So I think they're going to be very mainstream, and they're going to grow right through all of that change as it happens. I don't know how long it will take. You know, it, things seem to always take a little longer than you think when you're thinking long-term, but, but, but it's going to happen, and so we're prepared for it. We're also in there experimenting with new forms and new things we could do there, too. So you know, I'm, I actually view uh, the metaverse and the, the opportunity there as one of the biggest opportunities in the company's history. It's going gonna, it's gonna to create another big growth spur for us. Finally, Bracken, I'm seeing startups making webcams, which is not something I would have predicted I'd be seeing <laughs> this decade. But, but thinking that they see uh, through the pandemic some room to, to do uh, webcams that have DSLR type quality uh, specifically for those you know, who, who want to use that format. And it's more and more of us, um, you know, in the Zoom era. Uh, are you seeing that? Is that something that you're sort of attuned to? Are you going to change the range and function of the webcams that Logitech offers to address that challenge? Sure, I think one of the real markers for us when we know we're, we're in a hot category is if there are a lot of startups operating in it. Um, and there are, you know, and it's really exciting. And I think that favors us, you know, just because you can imagine that we have a lot of uh, innovation horsepower, so we can put it against things like that. Uh, we don't usually disclose in advance, as you know, John, exactly what we're working on, but we've got a lot of cool things coming, uh, not just in webcams, but everywhere. So I'm very optimistic about the future. It's, and, it, and I think it does tell you, you know, we've got four big megatrends we're focused on, you know, video going everywhere. It is people working from everywhere. They are. You know, the, um, the rise of uh, eSports is, is the biggest participant in spectator sport in the world, which, as you said, is really now even more about play. And then just 
the continued growth of people streaming, creating content on their own, which is going to be bigger than all of those. And those are our four areas that we work in. So we're in these high growth areas and, uh, and we're going to innovate across all of them. Well, give me a heads up as that innovation uh, comes down the highway. We'll be excited to have you back here on Tech Check then and before then. Bracken Darrow. Thank you so much. Good to have you. Thank you. Great to be here. Amazon, the worst performing fang name of 21. Could 2022 turn the tables? We got about a three-month low today. RBC names it a top pick for the year, says capacity investments are finally beginning to pay off. You can catch that call and a breakdown of the stock at cnbc.com slash pro. We're back in a couple of minutes. Welcome back to Tech Check. We're resetting here at the bottom of the hour. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Deirdre Bosa, John Ford, and Julia Borston. Markets are mixed to off the lows. Some moderate chop here following uh, the bruising yesterday. Worst S&P day since about mid-November. It's been cloudy returns for investors in the cloud. Julia's got a breakdown in a moment of that in just a little bit. But first, a news update with Rahel Solomon. Hi, Rahel. Hi, Carl. Good morning. And here's what's happening at this hour. Service sector growth slowed more than expected in December, although the ISM non-manufacturing index was still above 60 for the 10th straight month. Supply chain issues continue to impact growth prospects. U.S. trade deficit grew 19 percent in November as imports of goods jumped to a record high. Overall exports barely rose. They were held back by drops in exports of capital goods and industrial supplies. Shares of Bed Bath & Beyond getting whipsawed this morning. The stock sank as much as 11 percent after the retailer posted a sizable loss in weak comp sales. But then the stock soared, perhaps because of good consumer demand and strong margins in the report. Shares shot up more than 22 percent before cutting gains. They're now up closer to 7 percent. And potato processor Lamb Weston also up big on its quarterly results. Profits blew past estimates and margins were also strong. Lamb Weston shares up 10% today and more than 35% from their December low. You're now up to date. Carl, I'll send it back to you. All right, Rahel, thanks. If you are counting the uh, tech sectors that are trading at a discount, be sure to include fintech. Christina Partsinevelos joins us with some movers. Hey, Christina. Hi, Carl. So you got the 10-year Treasury spiking above 1.75% today as investors we know are assessing the Federal Reserve's faster-than-expected policy tightening. And the prospect, though, of higher rates and less liquidity doesn't seem to bode very well for high-growth fintech stocks in the payment space. And so that's what I'm looking at today. Names like Robinhood, insurance disruptor Lemonade, restaurant payments firm Toast or PayPal, they were darlings of the pandemic. But demand for these firms is cooling off, especially over the last three months, which is what you're seeing on your screen right now, that downward trend for all of those stocks. And then you've got buy now, pay later lender Affirm, down over 20% this week alone. Investors aren't only spooked by higher rates, which of course could lead to higher defaults on loans, but also by credit quality. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau recently requested data from several large buy now, pay later firms, including Affirm, which right now is trending to the upside today, but down over the week. And shares in Block, formerly known as Square, down almost, uh, well, I would just say it turned around. Oh, flat to the negative right now, unchanged, but uh, down on the week over 10%. And that's its worst week since early December, which really doesn't sound like much, but December was its second straight monthly decline. And that two-month losing streak 
its longest since 2019. Block also closed at a 52-week low yesterday. The stock is not only linked to federal policy, but crypto as well. Block's cash app allows users to buy and sell Bitcoin, with Bitcoin representing nearly 50% of overall revenue. So when Bitcoin falls dramatically, which is what you're seeing on your screen uh, and just previously, then you also have the same type of movement with Block. And we're also seeing similar movements with personal finance firm SoFi and cryptocurrency exchange Coinbase. So as we slowly exit the pandemic, we're optimistic about that, demand for digital apps is cooling down and pair that with a broader retreat from tech stocks ahead of interest rate increases and you have yourself a sell-off in some of the market's best performing names, which we just went through. Back over to you. Yeah, and Christina, we're seeing the Nasdaq as well flip between positive and negative territory in real time. That sets us up well for our next guest who says that now is the time to buy this sector as valuations head lower and de-risk into 2022. Wolf Research Analyst Darren Peller joins us now with his top picks. Darren, you say that, uh, reg- that they have been de-risked, but regulators seem to only be getting started in the space when it comes to crypto, and especially buy now, pay later. Uh, what does that bode for the industry this year, or does that actually make it more appealing, more regulation? Yeah, look, I mean, it's, thanks for having me, first of all. But when you look at the space, I mean, regulation tends to come pretty much every year. Uh, and the industry generally managed through, through it very well in the past cycles. Um, and I really don't see any exception to this. There may be more disclosures required and some credit quality checks on CF, from the CFPB on BMPL. But remember, the fintech industry is broad. And we have names like Visa and MasterCard that really participate in various aspects well above and beyond BMPL. Um, merchant processors like FIS and then B2B payments and others. The most important point I'll tell you is that it's very rare you see two years in a row of underperformance in fintech stocks. The last two times was 2010 and 2016. There were some aspects that underperformed. The very next year, there was outperformance, for example, by Visa MasterCard, 55% up in 2011, 45% up in 2017. Uh, with most other years outperformance as well. Regulation is always going to come, but we don't think that's going to stem the opportunity. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. To follow up and outperform what was a tough year for fintech last year. Darren, part of the reason, though, that some of these new names that have come to the market in the last little bit, like Coinbase and SoFi, Robinhood, um, have been able to grow so quickly is because they can move fast and break things, that old Silicon Valley adage. If there's more regulation, doesn't this put them in greater competition with, say, the banks and the larger fintech or payments companies? Yeah, look, I mean, at the end of the day, first of all, a lot of the larger fintech companies are participating in the same trends as what you're seeing from Coinbase and the digital wallets. And again, you brought up Square earlier. 
Square obviously was a COVID beneficiary in some regards, given its cash app business, but it has its other side of the business that's seller. Uh, right now, estimates are still pricing in a bit too much from the pandemic, extrapolating too far. We think that it checks all the boxes on the other side. It has buy now, pay later as a theme. It has crypto as a theme. It has digital wallets in the cash app side. And it's convergence with software and payments will really differentiate it long term. It's rare you get these kinds of stock at these valuations. Uh, you know, Square Block being one of those examples. Darren, I wonder if you uh, expect any legacy uh, financials to, to make a major move either organically or through acquisition this year. I just tr- try to make a, a real plant, a real pla- a flag in the space. Look, I absolutely think M&A is going to pick up some steam this year versus what we've seen the last couple of years. And valuations coming down is a part of the reason for that, right? Uh, when you think about the last couple of years, and you know, we talk about this in a report we published this morning, the magnitude of IPOs uh, and SPACs that came to the market was, all, was really off the charts for fintech. In fact, we had $200 billion of more capital that's publicly traded in the market now for fintech from just new publicly traded names, IPOs and SPACs in the last two years alone. Uh, and so the scarcity value question was coming up and valuations were high, which made it hard for M&A. However, with this reset lower on valuations, I absolutely think not only are you going to see some banks look to acquire into some of these fintech offerings to help accelerate growth, but some of the compounders or the legacy fintech stocks that have used to be very good acquirers probably will do more today and more this year. We're thinking FIS will will buy some assets, PayPal, Visa, MasterCard are probably all going to be on the the hunt for good tuckings. Interesting. Uh Darren, I want to go back to something you said a couple minutes ago. I think you said it's been rare to see fintech underperform repeatedly. I might have mentioned 2010 and 2016 being exceptions. Yeah. But hasn't everything sort of outperformed over the past 12 years? So how do you determine what the baseline is for what might happen in the future? Well, first of all, I'm looking at our space relative to the S&P, the market. And I'm talking about literally every year other than 2010 and 16 that the median performance of the fintech stocks outperformed the S&P performance. And so it's really not just that they went up, it's they went up a lot more than the market. Uh, I'll take it a step forward, actually. When we think about going forward, we polled investors over the last week, about 22 and beyond. And, you know, 51% of investors that we polled expect fintech to outperform the market by up to 10% this year. And 22% expect them to, to outperform by more than 10% given we're coming off the year we just had. But for what it's worth, we need a barbell approach. Some of the growth stocks that are the best names on that category, we really do need some of the value-centric fintech names also. Darren, thanks for being with us. Your insights, appreciated as always. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, with Etsy down more than 15% in a month, it is sales season. Needham naming it a top pick into 2022 and forecasting double-digit growth ahead. Price target 325 there. You can catch the full call at CNBC.com. Don't go away. Names in the cloud among the many tech stocks that have come down to earth this week, as you know. Julia's got that story for us. Julia? 
Well, Carl, the latest Fed move to taper is pushing investors more to rotate away from highly valued, unprofitable growth stocks. And the cloud sector continues to get hit hard by raising rates. Now, take a look at a couple of ETFs that track the cloud sector. The Global X Cloud Computing ETF down more than 8% over the past week. Wisdom Trees Cloud Computing ETF also falling more than 10% week to date with over a million shares traded each of the past two days. And Morgan Stanley writing today that software valuations have contracted by 30% compared to an average of a 22% decline in prior cycles. Morgan Stanley warning that while investors are more concerned about rates than fundamentals, there are more questions around possible pull forward of digital transformation spend into 2021 that could create a digestion of that growth in 2022. Now, they also note that the top five most expensive in the cohort, Snowflake, Datadog, Confluent, Cloudflare, and Zscaler are down almost 40% from their highs. Datadog, though, is actually up over 1% today on news of a partnership with, actually, it's up 2.5% today on a partnership with Amazon Web Services. That partnership announced just last night. Salesforce, Workday, and Twilio after dropping 8 to 10% in just the past week. Today, those stocks are bouncing back. You see Salesforce up nearly 2%, Workday up just over 2%, Twilio up nearly 3.5%. And though Zoom video is down about 55% in the past six months, this week trading at its lowest level since May of 2020, that stock is up about 2.5% today. But with these broader moves lower in the past week, the past couple of months, many of these stocks are trading well below their average analyst price targets. So Deirdre, still a question about valuation. Yep. And you're seeing some investors wade into names like Zoom, as you said today. Meanwhile, if you're looking for a stock taking... Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Flight today, Morgan Stanley says buy Allbirds, upgrading the D2C player to overweight as shares continue to hover around that $15 IPO price, just 50 cents below it. Shares, though, are 50% off their 52-week highs. More tech check after this. Stay with us. At CES this year, Google is taking aim at better connecting user devices, both within Android's operating system and even adding interoperability with 
Microsoft Windows. So this essentially means users will be able to more seamlessly connect their headphones and watches and sync text messages and files between Google devices and Windows PCs. Now, in terms of compatibility, Google is essentially catching up with Apple here. But in terms of this interoperability with other systems like Windows, this might suggest that slowly some of those walled gardens are coming down amid more scrutiny. But uh, guys, don't expect that green text bubble on your iPhone to go away anytime soon. I did ask the company if integration with Apple's iOS was next. They would not say. Take a look at Google shares. They are moving higher this morning, but they are down 4% for the week. And guys, when we talk about walled gardens, John, and regulatory risks, you got to wonder if that's factoring into the recent sell-off. I know Dan Niles mentioned this as a risk factor at the beginning of the show, but I don't see it. I think that it's going to take more, more action for investors to sort of really factor this in or move the stocks on the back of that regulatory pressure. Dee, my, my philosophy is these walls usually don't come down unless the product itself fails, like BlackBerry we were talking about mm-hmm. earlier this week. They move, right? So uh, Windows 11 building in, Android, Android getting interoperable. You can bet that Microsoft and Google are both trying to move the walls to more convenient locations mm-hmm. uh, where the margins will follow. And speaking of Google, tech investors not the only ones feeling the pain this week. Billionaires like Larry Page and Sergey Brin are down $5 billion each amid the sell-off. They're not the only ones, but something tells me they're good for it. Robert Frank got a look at who could lose even more on paper. Robert. That's right, John. Stock volatility means wealth volatility. and It's been the worst start of the year for tech billionaires in recent history. The top 10 wealthiest tech leaders losing over $40 billion just yesterday. Elon Musk hit hardest. He was down $14 billion yesterday on that Tesla decline. But that stock, remember, it bounced on Monday from the delivery announcement. He added over $21 billion to his wealth on Monday. So, so far this year, he's still up $7 billion, and he is still the world's richest person with $278 billion. Now, Google founders, as you mentioned, Sergey Brin, Larry Page, they're down over $5 billion each on that alphabet decline. Mark Zuckerberg taking a $4.5 billion hit, and Steve Ballmer dropping $4.2 billion from Microsoft decline, also hitting Bill Gates. He's down $2 billion. Then Larry Ellison down over $3 billion on that Oracle decline. If you look at the top 10 wealthiest overall in the world, there were actually two gainers yesterday, a little bit more old school, though. Bernard Arnault of LVMH, he was up $3 billion for the year so uh, yesterday, and he's up $5 billion for the year so far. Warren Buffett up nearly $4 billion for the year. That's thanks mainly to that stake in Apple. Now, if you look at the past year in total, you got some big losers. Zoom CEO Eric Yuan seeing his wealth fall by more than half, down $7 billion. And Vlad Tenev worth $2.2 billion at Robin Hood's peak during that IPO, now worth $900 million, guys. So he is no longer part of the Three Comma Club. That stock down a little bit more today. Back to you. Uh, it's good to keep track of these, Robert. Thanks, Robert Frank. Uh, Rivian shares coming off their worst day since November after news of an Amazon Stellantis partnership. But B of A says buy now, naming it a top pick alongside Lucid for 2022. Lucid has come off the early morning lows. Also, crypto's cratering. A look inside what's driving that sell off in a moment with the Dow down 116. I hope and pray that these cryptocurrencies don't crash because it will mean uh, it will have an effect on 
the regular markets. The only reason why these cryptocurrencies are going up is because more and more people are buying. And if they go down, fewer and fewer, fewer people are buying. There's no earnings, no dividends, nothing holding these things up except uh, the sentiment of the market. That's Mark Mobius not pulling any punches when it comes to what he thinks is driving the crypto sell-off with Bitcoin uh, now below uh, 43K. Dom Chu joins us with a gut check, and we're watching these September uh, 2021 lows. We are watching those because that 40 to 41,000 level is one that many crypto traders are watching right now for Bitcoin prices to try to hold some sort of level. If you take a look at the overall kind of crypto sphere of those, Bitcoin and Ethereum always get most of the attention. Why? Because they are the two biggest coins out there, tokens by far. I mean, the market cap of Bitcoin right now is probably around 800 plus billion dollars, 400 some billion dollars for Ethereum. Now, if you take a look at the pullback that we've seen, massive moves higher, Ether outperforming Bitcoin over the course of the past year. So we're down roughly 30 percent here with regard to Ethereum from the all time highs. Meanwhile, Bitcoin on this scale, much less dramatic here, but still it's about a 38 point drop here from the record highs on an intraday basis. So something to keep an eye on with regard to the relative move. So when Mark Mobius says sell off, I mean, is this a sell off? Is it not? Who's going to step in? One of the other places to kind of put some perspective around this is you take a look at the kind of fintech players, some of the stocks that have been caught up in some of the trading volatility. Coinbase Global is one that maybe gets a lot more attention because it is the biggest U.S. operator of an exchange for cryptocurrencies. It got a little bit of relative help today based upon an upgrade to buy over at Bank of America. But Robinhood market still down about one and a half percent today. MicroStrategy down two and a half percent as well. So keep an eye on those, John. Back over to you guys. Dom, thanks. Microsoft, one of the top big tech performers in 2021, so will 2022 be the same? Jeffrey says yes, calling it a top pick for the year, forecasting the stock could head as high as 400 bucks a share, which would be about 25% higher from here. More tech check still ahead. Stay with us. One more thing before we go. While investors continue to rotate out of tech names this week, what about hedge funds? Leslie Pickers got the scoop on some record selling we're seeing from the whales. Leslie. Yeah, John, it's not just a rotation, but as Goldman Sachs describes it, a, quote, violent rotation. Hedge funds have been dumping tech stocks at a remarkable pace in 2022. The firm's prime brokerage group said the net selling of this group was the largest on record going back at least 10 years over a four-day basis through January 4th. So that doesn't even include yesterday's selling and today's activity as well. Now, the declines are stemming from the dumping of long positions rather than pressure from additional short selling. Goldman's prime brokerage book is now underweight technology by nearly 5% versus the S&P 500, also the lowest underrating on record. So lots of records being made with this recent activity. Now, when analyzing on a factor basis, the firm says the rotation out of growth leaves exposure at a five-year low and value at a five-year high. In terms of subsectors, hedge funds had the largest net selling in software, semiconductors, and semi-equipment names, but they were scooping up names in the airlines, electronic equipment, and containers and packaging industries. 
That kind of explains sort of the value side of this trade. As for how this has affected performance, well, it's clear that hedge funds that invest in tech and growth have dramatically underperformed in 2021. We should get updated figures either today or tomorrow for the full year. But according to HFR, technology funds generated just 3% gains on average in the year through November compared with the NASDAQ, which was up 26% over that same period, guys. Maybe more will meet their benchmarks in 2022, LP, because last year was tough. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.